Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Working at Careers. Today I am going to be joined by Jude Morrow, who is an author, a social worker, a motivational speaker, and the founder of Neurodiversity Training International. In this episode, Jude is going to be discussing the daily struggles that he had with autism after being diagnosed at 11, his journey towards social work, and his work as an advocate for autism. I thoroughly enjoy this chat with Jude Morrow and I find it very inspirational and I really hope that you enjoy listening to it too and I'll chat to you soon. Hi Jude, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. How have you been keeping? Thanks very much Vanessa for inviting me on. I'm really glad to be here. Everybody asks me you know, how I've been coping with the pandemic and the whole working from home thing and the truth is not very well because I happen to be the type of person that doesn't really take the change very well and feels it a bit more acutely than the average person so I'm trying to just uh, love with it and adapt every day uh, no matter how hard it is so I'm just keeping on going. With the current position that you work in are you working from home or are you still based in the office? I am a social worker by trade that's my day job that's what I qualified in in 2012 and it's funny that because being a social worker, it's not really stereotypically the job for someone like me because I'm not like most people and that I'm autistic. And normally uh, autistic people would be stereotyped as being in STEM careers, science, technology, engineering and mathematics. So I'm a little bit different in that I work as a social worker. I've been for eight years. I've worked in various different fields, mental health, uh, learning disability and mostly with primary care and those with dementia. But on top of that, like since I wrote my first book, Why Does Daddy Always Look So Sad, last year, I've been touring groups and schools just to give a bit of positivity that autistic uh, kids can grow up to live happy and successful lives. And I had a bit of touring stuff planned, a lot of world travel planned, and uh, I was actually going to leave my day job and focus on writing uh, full time. But the, the world ended on the 24th of March, whenever the, the pandemic came, so... It gave me a little more time between working from home and then I established Neurodiversity Training International, which is a training platform for teachers, parents, workplaces, individuals. And it's training from the autistic point of view, from my lived experience and the experience of others in the autistic community. So at this minute, I'm doing those from home and doing those on Zoom through webinars and stuff. And that's been going really, really well. But as far as trying to kind of balance my day job and NTA at the same time, it has been difficult, but I suppose working from home has been a bit of a, a blessing in disguise to allow me to do that. Although the pandemic hasn't been great, a lot of positive things have come out of it. You are working on your own business ventures, and there have also been other many people as well who have had the time to develop themselves alongside their full-time work. Yeah, and I'm really glad that I've done it, and sometimes I wonder if the pandemic hadn't have come. Our way, would, would NTI have been founded, started up and uh, gone out into the world? It's difficult to know. So, yeah, while there's uh, so much negativity and misery in the press and uh, even out in the, the wider world, you know, uh, so, uh, people can take the, the bull by the horn, so to speak, and try and make the best of a difficult situation. Jude, I would like you to talk me through your journey from leaving school to graduating and now owning your own startup. Well, my story's a little bit different, wherein I went to a mixed abilities playgroup because my, uh, this was whenever, 1995, all that time ago, 25 years ago, 
because uh, I, I couldn't communicate very well. I didn't mix with other children my age. And I was among the first children, autistic children, to go to mainstream school. And I didn't go to school every day. I had a classroom assistant. And I was just more so a little bit of a loner because I wasn't really like everybody else uh, around me. And again, though I was formally diagnosed in 2001 when I was 11 in primary seven. So going into secondary school, I still had a lot of the same supports, although I was going to school every day. And I always knew it was different. I always kind of went that extra mile to try and fit in with everybody else more often to my detriment. So I, I came to 18 and uh, a, a lot of the questions that parents of autistic kids ask themselves, like my parents even did, I was asking myself as well, like, what am I going to be when I grow up? And, you know, what, how am I going to leave home? What's that going to look like? So at 18, I had uh, like a careers meeting and I'd been a member of a youth club for a couple of years up to this time. And I was thinking, and as was the careers advisor, we're, uh, we're both thinking, so what would a good career be for an autistic young man who doesn't really mix with people very well, doesn't like working with groups and on paper and as society would do, uh, doesn't really understand the needs and wants and wishes of other people. So that's when I decided, right, what kind of job could I do that all those traits would come into play? And that's when I decided to become a social worker. And after that, I went to McGee. And the, the independent learning model was really, really good for me. It really played to my strengths where I didn't really fit into like the traditional secondary school uh, timetable-based system. Like lectures were the same days and I was able to organize my own time outside of that. So independent working and working on my own were things that I've always done really, really well. So whenever I was at university and even then, I, I knew I wasn't really like everybody, but there's not always the societal kind of or the uncommon pressure to kind of mix with everybody as there would be in, in secondary school whenever you grow up and mature. But, uh, but a, a, a lot of my class, because I, I was studying to be a social worker, I was among a sea of very mature students who had a lot of life experience, who maybe worked for the health trusts for a long time and uh, support worker roles and through their own experience were training to become social workers then. So that's how I came into it and I qualified in 2012 and that's the job I've been kind of doing ever since. It is absolutely fantastic that you achieve this for yourself. <laughs> I know, I, I, I don't, I, and I mean, I, I would love to be able to say I took the, the the bull by the horns and did it all myself and all that, but I didn't really. A lot of my life up to maybe I was around twenty five was um, I, I was dragged through by my parents and sister and friends and family, my nearest and dearest, and even my son Ethan, who's now seven. A lot of them kind of dragged me through it, kind of kicking and screaming. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to say I was a lot, I was as proudly, openly autistic then as I am now because I certainly wasn't. And looking back on it, it's my kind of lack of belief in myself limited my growth so much back then. And it's only really now that I'm realizing my full potential and think looking back to my own childhood. If I had accepted and embraced myself for who I was from a young age, uh, God knows where I would be. I could be. I could have been the first person on Mars. I don't know. After um, many years as a social worker, what was it that gave you the push to take the next steps towards writing books and also opening your business? Well, I've always been a reader 
writer of uh, dabbled in short stories and a bit of poetry and a bit of article writing and that, that's existed since i was a teenager and one of my bucket list things was i wanted to have a book written by the time i was 30 and it wasn't uh, it wasn't to be like a like a memoir which is what my first book is uh, it was any book i just wanted to have a book written by the time i was 30 so after ethan was born a few years in I couldn't really adapt very well to the ever-changing landscape of fatherhood and everything that that brought, to the point where Ethan asked, has Granny, my mummy, why does Daddy always look so sad? Because he could see it that I wasn't really coping well with a massive life change. And, I mean, everybody knows that with children, they start to like different things. They start to have different interests, eat different foods, play with different toys. And for me, I'm very much anti-change and Ethan was just changing so much that I couldn't really keep up with it. So I went through kind of the whole journey of therapy and accepting my childhood for what it was before being able to progress in adulthood. And one evening, Ethan came down the stairs to me and we were putting up the, the Christmas tree, I think it was, uh, whenever I was sitting in the living room and I found a box of like diaries that I had kept through my therapy journeys. And that's what the book, Why Does Daddy Always Look So Sad, became. Uh, that all of those like diaries were compressed under that original manuscript. So I thought I'll self-publish it. And then after I'd self-published that book, I was taken on by a library agent and it was republished by Beyond Words and they published The Secret. So it's, I have a massive publisher and they're publishing my next book as well, which is going to be out next year. So after that, I was just sitting at home one day, probably eating pizza or a Chinese or something. And I, got, and I got a message on my phone saying, Jude, would you like to come and visit our group and sign books and talk to the parents? And I'm not really a networking mingler as such. So I, I didn't really want to at first, but it was Ethan actually who said, come on, we'll go, we'll go. Because I, I tell him everything. He's like my like confidant and personal assistant and like he's like a little human comfort blanket for me he's a real hollywood sweetheart so eventually we did go to the group and we signed books spoke to parents and then word kind of spread i went to other groups and then schools and that developed into a speaking tour um, last year and then as i say the world ended in march uh it's still over and in that time i thought you know a lot of training that's out there for uh, parents uh, with autistic kids in their household and even teachers is that the training that's out there only really highlights the negativities like all the real horrible stuff like there's autistic teens now that have to that have access to phones and ipads and tablets and everything else and if they have a sense of their autistic identity all they need to do is google it and you just see all the negativity and horrible things about yourself that's happened on the internet so i thought i would have a bit of a change of course where i could demonstrate to parents that we can grow up to be happy to be successful to have jobs to self-advocate and i i think that every teacher and parent should have training like that because at this moment in time it's not really compulsory and i suppose i designed my own training because i had plenty of time to do so with in partnership with my parents and even old teachers that i had that it would be the training that they wish they had whenever I was young. So that's really what NTI became. And I suppose from writing my book to NTI being founded and 
uh, speaking to so many parents and teachers and professionals and stuff, it's nearly become like a big hobby and labour of love that's got out of hand. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind journey since May 2019, right up to now, where it's just seemed to have gone from strength to strength. And I'm really, really pleased with it. And I've had so much support from the online community, the autistic community, everybody, even people like you, Vanessa, reaching out to me to tell my story and speak and inject some happy, positive vibes about autism into the world. And I'm, I'm happy to do everything. In my own opinion, I feel like children in school aren't taught about autism and it isn't openly spoken about. And a lot of people have the belief that people with autism can't live the same life or do the same things as everyone else. And that is absolutely not the case. Yeah, and it's actually re- uh, really interesting that point because I- I'm involved in a lot of research groups with Stanford University and uh, various others, even you. I've done lots of stuff and spoken to a lot of people. And it seems to be that with children, children are naturally accepting of one another. It's only when differences are highlighted that's when bullying etc starts where a lot of struggles that i had in the classroom where i don't i don't ever remember being confronted by any of my classmates but i certainly remember being confronted by teachers although they had their hearts in the right place and they wanted to help me they wanted to help me fit in with everybody else but really it didn't really help me in the long run like i will never openly criticize teachers or openly criticize any professionals that tried to help me because everybody's hearts were in the right place but it didn't really help me uh, so to speak like i'm sure you've seen on social media lots of times even if we take a different topic uh, like racism where even sexuality like sexuality and racial identity doesn't really compute you know to small children everybody's just children and everybody i suppose starts to naturally accept each other but then only when differences are highlighted by others in a position of care, like teachers or anything like that, even if unintentionally, that's when divisions are created because children don't naturally make those divisions themselves, I find. What is it that you show the teachers in your training that helps them to approach children in new ways that will help to develop them? Oh, it is. And I think there's a really, really scary fact is that the life expectancy for autistic people is 36 to 54 globally. I mean, look it up. And I'm 30 now. So as far as my lifespan, I am more than middle aged. Statistically, I'm more than halfway through my life and, and approaching that bracket. And a lot of the reasons for the life expectancy being so low is because we do feel stress that we but more acutely than everybody else, simply because People are trying to make us fit in with everybody else. I suppose it's the old cheesy Facebook line, why, why fit in when you were born to stand out? But in school situations, the way schools work fundamentally is that you're not really allowed to stand out as an individual. Like you are a class, you are in a class full of other uh, pupils there. And it is quite disheartening. And I suppose whenever teachers gain another perspective from an autistic person, which for NTA purposes is me, then I was always aware there's this misconception that autistic kids aren't aware of the world around them, and that's just simply not true. We're just I, being autistic and autistic, we're just another diversity group that just wants to be accepted for who we are. And autistic kids are constantly being suppressed for who they are because of their charms and quirks that may be uncomfortable for others to look at. I mean, that's a direct contributory factor. 
to the life expectancy being so low. Like imagine living in existence where you're not allowed to be yourself. You're not allowed to be your naturally wonderful self. You have an expectation that you have to tell people what they want to hear or behave in a way that other people want to see. Instead of being a keyboard warrior, which is very, very easy to do, I thought I'm just going to actually do this myself and see where it goes and try and develop a different brand of training that will change the view of autistic people forever. That's the dream, at least. (laughs) And with your training, what is it that you're showing them to do different in the classroom? It's not specifically a strategies-based training. There's a lot, it's just what the view of autism is. Like everybody looks at ASD, which is the, the acronym for Autistic Spectrum Disorder. And I've asked this question in a lot of schools, and I'm doing everything online now with Zoom, that it's called Autism Spectrum Disorder. But what I always ask is, disordered compared to who exactly? I mean, where is the benchmark and where is the criteria of what is not disordered or what is considered normal? Because in every case, and take autism out of it, is that the majority have two very, very dangerous powers. And one of them is to decide what's disordered and not disordered and what's right and what's wrong. Because I went through an existence where instead of attitudes changing and being accepted, that I was always the one that had to change. And that's really what the autistic existence is, is that we're the ones that have to change. So instead of coming in and giving vague strategies that have been out under the atmosphere for years, because see that figure of 36 to 54 for our life expectancy, that's existed for around 20 years. And there's been so much training by charitable organizations, even other training companies, trying to develop strategies to assist us And it's clearly not working because our life expectancy hasn't increased. So what it is, is that it's a real view of what autism is. And to kind of shift the perspective from being a disordered child compared to the rest uh, to a child that just longs to be accepted for who they are. And uh, teachers have the chance to be an autistic child's hero and to take it and to have a strengths-based approach. Every single child, no matter what, has strengths that can be used in order to develop them and help them flourish in the classroom. And that goes for parents as well, to help children flourish at home. So that's what NTI is. It really tries to appeal to people's better nature to use the strengths and passions of their children to help them grow. I think it's amazing and I can't wait to see how this is going to develop over the next couple of months. I know, neither can I. I can't really wait either. <laughs> I mean, everything just seems to be uh, falling to my feet. And although I'm putting a lot of work into it, and uh, the feedback that I've got from the training sessions that I've done on Zoom have been absolutely mind-blowingly good. I, I, I can't believe how good the feedback really has been. And I, I, I often ask after the training is, I, I hope that every participant agrees that this is the training that every teacher and every parent should have at the start of their journey or even regardless of where they are in their journey because as a bit of a a mole or a spy i went to some uh, autism awareness training sessions delivered by other people uh so i i was like i was like a plant in the room and i and one session in particular i remember getting very very upset because i'm thinking because i thought that's what they think of us that we are disordered, we can't make eye contact, we can't make friends easily. And, and the truth is, Vanessa, we're so much more than that. Like If you look at every field of human endeavour, there's been an autistic person at the head of it. Look at particle physics, you have Einstein, 
music, you have Mozart in art, you have Michelangelo, filmmaking, Stan, Stanley Kubrick. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on, but yet we're the ones that are disordered or a hindrance to teachers with a classroom of 29 or 30 other pupils in it. Every child has strengths, and in particular, autistic children tend to have passions and interests uh, that are a lot more laser-focused than the average person. But uh, on the diagnostic manuals, it's called obsessive behaviours, because if you're obsessed, if you're autistic, you're obsessed with something. If you're not autistic, you're an expert. So there's just a fundamental societal injustice toward us that ultimately I want to change. And Jude, from your own experience of being diagnosed with autism and through the education system, what advice would you have for anyone who has recently been diagnosed with autism or who is getting ready to leave for university? As far as going to university, this is what I did and I actually write about it in my new book is that whenever I was deciding on a university to go to, whenever I was going to go to McGee, because I did want to stay at home, I am a wee bit of a mummy's boy, I will admit it, live on air. I actually looked into the campus itself and, you know, looked at the faculty and, you know, just getting the staff and everything and just becoming familiar to try and make, for my first day, the, the actual school itself as familiar to me as possible without actually having been there. I looked up all the teachers, professors, everybody that were teaching the social work course. I, I got to know them and on their website they all had snazzy professional pictures. So I was able to put faces to names and I, I suppose trying to turn the situation to my advantage as much as possible, learning where all the rooms were. And as far as picking a career, I mean, for any autistic pupils, a lot of pupils seem to be railroaded into STEM careers, as I said at the start, you know, like digitalized robotics computers and so on where i hadn't really no real interest in those things although i work with other people like uh, autistic people can thrive and survive in any discipline as long as the right focus and the right desire to do it is there and i mean don't be afraid to ask for more support and more help because whenever i was at university i actually told my tutors that i was autistic. I actually told them, not in, a, in any way to get more um, help or to get more perks or benefits or get out of jail free cards, but so that they could understand my way of working, my way of being, not to try and um, get more resources or more time or to turn the, the course materials and even the examination methods to my own advantage. But it was just to be open and honest about who you are and I mean hiding it isn't going to do anyone any favours because if people understand, particularly the university staff, if they understand who you are and how you work, it will make that three year or four year or five year, no matter what course you do, that will make that experience that little bit easier. I think it's really important that you put yourself out there and that you do things that will make you feel comfortable. Yeah, for sure, because I wouldn't normally have done something like that. I wouldn't normally have told people I wouldn't have been open about it because there's a certain sense of shame that I felt that I was different. And that, that's just a feeling I don't want any child to feel ever again. Um, but going forward, I think autistic kids should be celebrated and cherished as much as everybody else, not uh, pitied or burdened or anything else. And 
before the university experience, there's unlimited possibilities to work in a way that's most comfortable to you with the independent study and learning model uh, that third level education has. It, it, it is much more advantageous than secondary school education because I enjoyed university much more than I did secondary school. Jude, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I feel like I learned so much from you. And I can't wait to see about the next books that you're going to write and how your training is going to develop in the coming months. Oh, thanks very much. And I mean, I love speaking to everybody and anybody. I am a chronic yes man. So if you know any other podcasters or anybody else that wants to speak to me, reach out to me. I My email address is neurotraininternational at gmail.com. N-E-U-R-O-T-R-A-I-N-I-N-T-E-R-N-A-T-I-O-N-A-L at gmail.com. <gasps> I got that out in one breath. So, um, yeah, reach out to me. My door is always open. And I'm sure you can vouch, Vanessa. You did message and I did personally reply. So, please reach out to me if you want to learn any more of our mission and what I do. Uh, follow us on social media pages. And uh, look at our website, which is neurodiversity-training.com. Perfect, Jude. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks. I'll chat to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. I really hope that you all enjoyed our episode with Jude today. Next week, I am going to be doing another episode of our Woman in STEM mini-series, and I am going to be joined with Anna Harley, who is a PhD student in engineering. So this will be a great episode for anyone who is considering taking their engineering education further by studying a PhD, or for anyone in school who is doing their personal statements right now and completing their UCAS and is thinking about doing a degree in engineering as well. So I really hope that you will all join me next week for another episode of Working at Careers. Bye!